Welcome back in everyone to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. I am so excited about today's episode. I'm so excited because we are bringing you an incredible show, two incredible theater companies, two incredible artists. We are joined today by the playwright Lisa Sanaye Dring and the director Ralph B. Pena who are part of My Yi Theater Company in association with La Jolla Playhouse presentation of Sumo. It's playing now through October 22nd at the La Jolla Playhouse, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting lajollaplayhouse.org. We are huge fans of My Yi Theater Company and of the La Jolla Playhouse. So to be able to speak to two of the big artists behind the new show kicking off both of their seasons is incredible. So with that, let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Lisa Ralph. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hi. Thanks Thank for you, having me. It's great to be here. I, I, I'm just like over the moon right now. I mean, I feel like someone needs to pinch me. I'm starstruck. I can't believe that this is happening. As I was mentioning before we started, it was about a year ago that I had the privilege of seeing Once Upon a Korean Time at La Mama uh, Playhouse, which Mai put on. And I was hooked. I was like, I want to see anything and everything this theater company does. And here we are a year later. I'm getting to talk to the two of you about the show kicking off the season, which is Sumo. That's been getting rave reviews, wonderful word of mouth. It's been all over my social media. I'm, I wish I had like a private plane so I could just fly out okay. there and just like see the show because it looks so good. So Lisa, I want to start with you as the playwright. Could you tell us a little bit about what this show is about and what it is? Sure. Sumo is about a group of sumo wrestlers in Japan. A young man wants to come and be a champion and he has to first learn the world that he has been brought into and then find out what he wants to do inside of that world. I think in many ways it's a query into men and masculinity and also structure hierarchical structures of power. Yeah, and there's lots of fighting. <laughs> I love it. So how did you come up with the idea to write this show? What was the inspiration? Well, I... The day after my mom's funeral, I bought a ticket to go to Japan. I'm half Japanese. So I wanted to go to my grandfather's birthplace and find his grave, which I didn't do. Or I couldn't find it, but I went to that town. And on my way there, I happened upon a Honbasho, which is every two months in Japan, they do a professional sumo wrestling tournament and it takes 15 days. And so I had seen sumo wrestling as a kid on TV, you know, and all that, but I had never even thought to uh, about it much as a live event. And when I went, it was so incredible. It was really, it was a sport, you know, like we know here, but it was filled with ritual and history and um, devotional practice. There's lots of spirituality embedded inside of the sport. And so I was really, you know, taken with it. And at that time I was not a writer. And so then in 2019, I kind of, I applied to the McDowell. It was the first residency I applied to and I'd written one full length play and some, you know, co-writing and a solo show before that. And I pitched them sumo and I got in. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to write this play. <laughs> and then I developed it there in the winter of 2019 and then also with East West Players. And then re 
really magically, I sent it to my friend Brant, who I, I directed a show in Cincinnati and I met him and I we have a deep simpatico artistically and he really loved it and he sent it to Gabe Green with La Jolla Playhouse and then I think a month later it was in the DNA New Works series and Ralph was at the helm and that, then and now we're here <laughs> yeah and that is a great way to bring on our director Ralph so let's pick up the ball where she left it off you know where where did you come upon or how did you come upon this show I got an email from La Jolla Playhouse Gabe Green the their development manager, literary manager. I I had known I knew Gabe because we were developing another play <laughs> several years back. And so he emailed me and said, in there's this play that we have that we'd like you to consider. And I read it and I said, there's no way this play can be staged. And I really sat with it for a few days. What I love about these kinds of things that scare me is that they usually lead to many, many discoveries um, for myself as an artist, but also for the company. Uh, You know, the thing is like the theater never advances by doing the same thing again and again and again. Right. So nobody ever moves forward. And the the way to move things forward is to say yes to things that seem impossible. So I thought about it and I said, well, let's see what we can do with this. And I think the very first thought that I had was that I wanted the fighting to happen. I didn't want to skirt that issue. I didn't want to stylize the fighting. I wanted to see large-bodied Asian men slamming against each other on stage uh, for many reasons. One, that it's never been, that's really not happened before in American theater, as far as I know. But secondly, to portray Asian men as these hyper-masculine, powerful beings, which is also not seen in American theater. As Lisa writes, Asian men are usually portrayed as or in feminized ways, as less than masculine, who always have to prove uh, their maleness, right? We are never given romantic leads. It's just very recently in movies that they're doing that, but certainly not in theater. Uh, and this this was a completely different world, uh, I thought, to showcase Asian masculinity. And what makes it even more interesting is it's written by a female playwright a woman playwright. And that is the draw. I didn't know how to do it. It's written by Lisa. It's about women's, I mean, large Asian men slamming against each other. It seemed impossible. And that's why I eventually said yes. I love it. And I'm so glad that you did because you've literally hit on so many firsts that the show is breaking, yes. This is the world premiere of Sumo, and I want to ask both of you, what has it been like developing this particular iteration of the show? And Ralph, I want to start with you on that. First things first is how can we fight? So the design, we went, worked with our designers very early on, Wilson Chin, who's our scenic designer, and also a fight uh, director, intimacy director, and a Japanese consultant to sort of help us navigate what this could mean on stage. Those were the primary considerations. And as 
we started figuring out what this world was like. Lisa then started writing specifically to this new staging reality and to the cat. And the other, the other challenge to this is finding six, actually nine, Asian-American large-bodied men who can act, sing, dance, and fight. They had to be quadruple threats. So that was part of the thing. And figuring out like how to do this, the physical world of this was, I think, the first thing we had to figure out. And Lisa was instrumental in sort of helping us navigate that world and sort of make, you know, allow that text to live within the physical requirements of the stage. Because those those two things had to be reconciled. There's certain things we cannot do on stage because the actors will get hurt. I don't know if that made any sense, but yeah. No, it totally did. No, no, that is fascinating. I would love to be in the room to watch the show be put together and developed and watch the problem solving take place. You know, just watch you guys play in the sandbag, uh, in the sandbox. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, what about for you as a playwright? What was it like developing your work for the world premiere? Well, we had three workshops, which was great because in the rehearsal room, we did spend a lot of time on fighting. It's not a musical. There are, you know, snippets of music and we have a taiko drummer throughout and um, we have some like fun moments there, but it feels like a musical in that the fighting was half of the show. And so every morning we'd have one to two hours of fights. So it would be half an hour of stretching or 20 minutes of stretching, followed by running drills, followed by then choreographing the sequences. And so we had to give deference to that with regard to storytelling. And it was actually very beautiful because I think it's really bonded our cast. I think about that vulnerability of, you know, relying on one another to be safe and literally sharing weight with one another in a way. I mean, our, our cast is super duper tight and it's great because we didn't have as much time for scene work, right? As a normal show would, because we were spending all this time with fighting. And so it was an interesting accumulation of energies that led to us learning a lot in previews. Certainly there was a lot of, there were a lot of rewrites from me in previews. And then I also want to say, I really loved working with these two companies. I think, you know, the, the dramaturgical eye of the playhouse, as well as Ralph's is, was really strong and helped me unlock it as well. We also worked with Alice Twan, who's the dramaturg, but you know, both of these theaters really, really supported me in giving me a, a lot of space to create the work that I have envisioned and then also help me identify where it needs to grow and talk about, you know, what each scene is doing. That is so wonderful. And I'm going to steal that phrase from you, by the way, the dramaturgical eye. I absolutely love that. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I want to ask the two of you now, what is the message or thought you're hoping that audiences will take away from Sumo? And Lisa, if I could start with you first as the playwright, that would be great. It's funny. Ralph and I both have talked about this question, how challenging it is. It's weird because a play in some ways carries a lot of my soul. You know, like it's like, you know, I think about the message and I'm like, oh, I would hope that the play speaks to different people differently. And 
I have some ideas, but you know, my friends who have seen it thus far, they've come to me with very different thoughts and feelings. And I love that about work. I love work that gives you enough space to discover things for yourself and discover things after you go home. I think the thing, uh, I hope this isn't a cop-out, but it's not a message for me specifically. I'm trying to create work that emanates into someone's reality after they leave the theater. No, that's that's not a cop-out. I love shows like that where you leave the theater and you're still thinking about it and you're still talking about it and you're dissecting it. I love that. When I worked for a regional theater, that was my favorite thing to be leaving the theater at the end of the evening and see people in the parking lot still talking about what they saw. And I was like, <laughs> yes, that is the point. <laughs> yes. Ralph, how about you? What What is the message or thought that you're hoping that audience <laughs> took away? <laughs> oh boy! Oh, uh, but first, I wanted to say I want to I want to dial back a little bit about developing this play. One of the things that I try to uphold, because most of my work is new, is new plays. I've really spent time developing new work. It's important for me to realize the vision of the playwright from the get-go, that I don't fracture it, that I don't say, you've got to do this, or, you know, we're not going to do the play. So with this play, I mean, I, you know, I know she did, uh, that, that Lisa did a, a lot of rewrite, but I was also, even if the scene was extremely challenging, or I didn't know what to do, that was my job as a director, to figure out how to make Lisa's text live on stage. And, and I think that, that, that is extremely, extremely important when you're working with new, new work, um, but especially young playwrights and especially women playwrights who are often elbowed into writing a play to suit the points of view of men and I hope <laughs> I yeah we had a lot of challenges but I think it was important I, I, I whatever uh, Lisa wrote we tried to do on stage I think that's super important especially for this first time out going on I mean if it has future lives then Lisa will have new discoveries but for this time it's important that we realize what's on page now as for message <laughs> I am averse to plays that have messages. I would like plays to transport audiences to places they've never been to and then discover that world for themselves and how they might fit into that world and how it might foster greater empathy for people they've never met before, for places they've never experienced, for cultures that are unfamiliar with them. I think that is what theater must do today. If you look across the United States, right, and comments that I've been reading in theater blogs, audiences have stayed away from theater that are heavy on messages. They don't like messaging. Basically, they don't like woke messaging. And I can tell you that across regional theaters around the country, subscribers have left precisely because they think that there is an over overselling of woke messaging, meaning they're not especially open to 
being told that their points of view are offensive or that other people, that it doesn't, you know, as we're trying to find equity in American theater, that it's a zero sum game. Meaning if marginalized groups take space, it's taking away from other groups. And, 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 and this play for me and, and any stuff that I do today, I don't lead with message. I just say, come enter this world and discover it and find that you find the find where you fit because we're all part of this world together. And I think empathy, again, empathy is what theater can bring to this country and the world today, where everyone has is challenged, you know, to see things from other people's point of view. That is what theater can do and is very good at. Amen. Say it again a little louder for the people in the back, you know, but I, I love that answer. I think that's wonderful. And it leads to my final question for this first part of the interview, which is who do you hope have access to your show? And Ralph, I want to start with you on this question. People who have never been to the theater before, people who can't go to the theater because it's too expensive, people who have not been invited to the table before, people who don't see themselves as being part of the traditional theater going experience. That's the people that I want to see in the theater. Pricing is an issue, theme is an issue, in a direct invitation is an issue, engagement is an issue. And if we continue to simply rely on the old formulas of subscribers, we're not gonna make it. And we have to figure out a way to make theater accessible to all. And there isn't one answer to this because if, if there was, I would be a millionaire. And you cannot find that unless you're physically, I mean, engaging deeply with the communities around you. What do they want? And what do they want to see? And how can you serve them? Yes, I love that. Lisa, how about you? Who do you hope have access to Sumo? Well... I love what Ralph said. I also want to say La Jolla Playhouse had this beautiful, has this beautiful program called uh, the Playhouse Leadership Council. And there's people from communities who represent communities who might not have gone to the Playhouse before. And they come to previews and then they go out to the community and say, hey, come see the show. Here's some discounts. They like find a way to do outreach in a personal way. So I want to say I was really moved by La Jolla for doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think besides what Ralph said, which I think is very beautiful, it's that idea of like, I'm not writing toward someone of a specific phenotype or culture. I want to welcome everybody in. So like in Sumo, there's a scene where it's like, here's what you need to know. Come on in. People who may have never seen this before. And then I also hope it's nuanced and dense enough so that people who do watch Sumo can also love it too, aren't bored, right? And I think that way, like Ralph sort of eschewing didacticism in the theater or being like, you know, this is what you need to learn. I also think it's like, I, I hope that my relationship with the audience is just out of, you know, we're humans together. And so in that way, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> there's probably a million reasons why I should be more specific about this, but I hope it's for everybody. And I hope it's for people who know things about the culture we're representing and then also who don't. want to switch things up now and give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better on more of a personal level. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past, or perhaps just some of your favorites? And Ralph, could I start with you on this question? Is that all right? I think our... Young writers inspire me because they, especially the new ones, the young ones today who don't, or who push against limitations imposed on them. You know, a lot of the Asian American writers, a lot of writers of color have been told to write small, think small, write small. And Lisa did not do that. <laughs> and, and even uh, Daniel Kang Isaac with, with like Once Upon a Korean Time did not think small and i like i like that kind of thinking among um, with younger writers is to challenge that kind of prescriptive you know economical model imposed on us to get produced so you see a lot of playwrights of, of color writing plays with small cast with small production components so that they could get produced but the the new generation is pushing against that which i i, I like very much i'm inspired by them and i look to some of my colleagues in regional theaters who have really tried to find new models for producing long wharf theater for example and jacob padron has find you know they they left their space but now they're actually a roving theater within their communities and latino theater company in los angeles has just given out seven million dollars worth of grants to small Latino theater company around the country. Those things are very, very inspiring to me because they they're, they're, they actually empower new generations of theater makers to work and do things they've never done before, which is, I think, how we were all moved forward. We can't keep doing Sweetie Todd. It's a great show. It's a great show. I love it. I love it. It, yeah, it, we need new works. We need to hear those new voices. I love that. Lisa, how about you? What are who inspires you? Yeah, I mean, there's this book I love called The River Why, and this character in it, and whenever he's asked what his favorite book is, he goes, The last book I read. And so I think about that whenever I think about, you know, my favorite things, because it's often the people I'm working with who inspire me very deeply. Like, you know, the people in our show, the the costume designer, our taiko drummer, our, you know, our stage management team, I think about them. I, when I have gone to, it's funny, when I saw sumo wrestling for the first time in Japan, only time in Japan, I've seen it live in America a few times since then, but it made me feel like how I felt when I saw a really good play, a play that felt like, ooh, it lifted me. And I, when I think about those experiences, I think about Soho Rep. I've gone to a few there that have really bowled me over. Brandon Jacobs Jenkins plays sometimes do that to me. 
I Would Have Killed to See Wolf Play by Hansel Young. Jess Butterworth's work really knocks me over. I love Chekhov. I also love like Ocean Vuong, like writers outside of, you know, I think about Hilma Ofklund as visual artists. I think about, you know, the people, Miyazaki, I think about in terms of inspiration. And for various reasons, a lot of poets inspire me. Robin Costa-Lewis sits in my heart and I, I return to a lot. Marie Howe and Ralph B. Pena. <laughs> There's a wonderful list. I love that. Capped off by a wonderful artist. I know you both have been very busy getting this show up on its feet and opening it, but have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Well, it's funny because I've been in, we've been in La Jolla, so it's like, oh, you know, we've been in the theater hole, but there's shows here I'm excited about in LA. Here's of the fourth turning artist that plays This Is Not A True Story. There's a lot of, oh, Measure Still For Measure at Boston Court, I hear is phenomenal. My my list is long for things I'm going to see now that I'm back in town. Oh, the cabaret at the Old Globe is very beautiful. That's what I saw when I was down there. For me, Infinite Life at the Atlantic is great. I believe that's headed to the National. And I, I'm still trying to catch up with work after being gone for a few weeks. But yeah, those are my... Infinite Life is on my t- at the top of my list. Like I would love to go to more if I can. Wonderful suggestions. A lot of stuff that has been on our radar as well. So I love that. I would love to ask the both of you now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Lisa, I want to start with you first on that. Um, that we need other people to do it. And that it's a study of how breath, and that it, it sits upon breath that it's about how language moves in the body with other people. It really, and and it necessitates community even to see it. I think now more than ever, I think about how lucky I am to be in this field. That is such a beautiful answer. I love that. Ralph, how about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I guess the communal experience of being in a room with artists and an audience. That's, that's, the one thing theater does, right? It's, and every night is different. It exists for that moment only, and we all get to share it. And I think that's, it's, that's sort of the, what's beautiful about it. And it's also, I don't know, sometimes I'm sad that it can only happen once, you know, in, in one way, but, but it is sort of that it, it's, it's fleeting. You know, the next night, you only you alone, only you, <laughs> that that audience will get to see that performance that way that night, and I love that it that that that's the aspect. Of, I mean, that's the aspect of theater that I really like. I completely agree. That's one of the reasons why this art form is so special. It can never be recreated. It's once it's done, it's done. It's lightning in a bottle. Even if it's captured on film, you can't create that feeling, that emotion that that existed in that space. So I love Mm -hmm. that. And now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests. And that is, what is your favorite theater memory? For me, it's working with communities. I think doing, seeing how theater can be an organizing tool. I did this in the Philippines when I was a lot younger. We took place into communities and 
uh, that that don't normally come to the theater. So we took it to them. And so, you know, sometimes you have to take, sometimes if you can't bring the community to the theater, you should go to the community. And I saw what it did when we took up issues of housing and birth control and poverty and did it there. And it, it created and even domestic abuse. And it empowered the audience to actually take action. In one instance, I believe we did a play about domestic abuse where the women, if they heard another person being abused, would go out in the streets with pots and pans and, and bang on them. And that happened in the community. That became a thing that when they started, when they did this, it meant a woman was getting abused and they would run to that house and make noise until it, until they could stop it. But those those things, those that what the power of theater to entice people to action, to organize and to advocate for themselves, I've seen it work. And I hope we can do it here as well. <laughs> so that, you know, it's theater theater that you take home with you. You know, it doesn't end when you exit the theater. You know, it 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 filters into your everyday life. That's really wow. beautiful, Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, what an incredible memory. What an impact you have made. That's incredible. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that myself. That was a bunch of people doing it. But uh, but I've seen it work. So that's 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 my memory. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Lisa, how about you? What's your favorite theater memory? It's really hard for me to figure out favorites. I'm finding. I saw Jerusalem. I mentioned Jez Butterworth before, but when I saw Jerusalem, I was just about to go to Actors Theater of Louisville as an apprentice, as an acting apprentice. And I was felt like I had spent so much time being like, I can't get in. I can't like do this. I don't know how to do theater. Like, I don't know how to get to the stage and I went and visited New York before I went to Louisville and I just remember feeling just moved just ripped open by those performances and just walking I mean I've had a few walking through the streets of New York like sobbing after shows and that was one of them where like I think there were two intermissions but I could not leave the my seat I was just stuck there yeah, and I think in that way, like, I could not believe that he did all, that Mark Rylance did all those performances. Like, like he brought that energy to the work every day. And it felt devotional in this way. And that's sort of what I'm always on the look for. That's not what I'm looking for. That is also so beautiful. I love those experiences as well. What a wonderful memory. Both of you, thank you so much for those memories. I love those. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Well, I'm going to keep working on Sumo. <laughs> I die, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the first step. So I'm very, I want to share, I want to, even if I'm not directing, I can also produce. I would like the, I would like a lot of people to see it as many times as possible. So that's my thing right now. And then I am directing other plays coming up, but right now I'm in sumo and 
and trying to figure out like where can this go, how do we make it happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's what's preoccupying me for the next few months. It's funny. Every single night since we've opened, I've had dreams about editing sumo. <laughs> I'm actively just editing it in my dreams, which I'm excited to not do in a few days, hopefully. I have a show going up with No Theater of Cincinnati called Kairos. We're looking for an NPM Rolling World premiere, so it might go other places too. And then um, Happy Fall, a queer stunt spectacular, will be getting a Rolling World premiere with Rogue Artist Ensemble. They're going to co-produce it with a Contemporary American Theater Festival in West Virginia. And then we're going to move to the LGBT Center in L.A., in the fall. Amazing. So some wonderful things going on, some wonderful projects to keep tabs on. And that leads to my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about Sumo or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Sumo is currently at La Jolla Playhouse and you can easily access their website at, I believe it's lajoyaplayhouse.com or ljp.com. And, or you can also go to our website, mayitheater.com, M-A-Y-I-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org, not com, .org. And then my contact information is there as well. So if you want to ask me specific questions or reach out about anything else uh, about our work, I'm happy to answer them. I'm on the internet. Can, my website is my name. And then I'm also on Instagram, captain underscore Lisa underscore Dring. Well, amazing. Lisa, Ralph, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been an honor and the show sounds amazing. I'm going to be holding my breath for it to be making its way out to New York since I don't have my private plane yet. But truly, thank you so much for sharing the show. Thank you for sharing your memories and your insight. I would love to have you both back on for a bigger conversation, it feels like, about these wonderful points you made. But truly, I appreciate you coming to speak to us today. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we're going to really, Lisa and I, I know Lisa, she does. She laughs when I say, I want to bring it to the Winter Garden. But- <laughs> Currently, it has a very good show, Back to the Future. So <laughs> and maybe don't pick that theater right now. Maybe not that theater. No, I'm, we're, we're always kidding. Like, what, what are we going to do? You know, it's going to be on ice, sumo on ice, <laughs> or a, a swing pool. Something I mean, like the that. circle and the square would be great for, for uh, They also have a show going in there, I believe. Uh, Melissa Etheridge is there right now. So She's yeah. only there till the till December, though. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah. I'll, I'll work my magic. I'll pull my strings. You know, they know yeah. who, I've got a name. They should know who I am. <laughs> my guests today have been the incredible playwright, Lisa Sanaye Dring, and the incredible director, Ralph B. Pena, both who are part of My Yee Theater Company in association with La Jolla Playhouse's presentation of the world premiere of Sumo. It's playing now through October 22nd at La Jolla Playhouse. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting lajoyaplayhouse.org. And we also have some contact information for both of our guests, as well as for the Mayi Theater Company. We're going to be posting that on our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But if you find yourself in the La Jolla Playhouse area, or you just need an excuse for a vacation or to escape, 
you know, the nasty weather you might be having right now, head on out there, check out this great show, Sumo. It's playing now through October 22nd. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.